Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. The Theology Central Podcast. The Theology Central Podcast that you once loved, that you looked forward to every single day because it was a podcast that brought you discussions about theology. It brought you discussions about theological issues and gave you commentary about what was going on in the world. The Theology Central Podcast that brought you Bible studies. That Theology Central Podcast is no more. Because as of right now, the Theology Central Podcast has transformed itself into the brand new True Crime Podcast. A podcast that will explore true crime in a dramatic way. And tonight, I hope you're ready because it's going to be suspenseful. It's going to be frightening as we once again take a trip to Indiana. Indiana was the scene of the crime. It was a normal summer day in Indiana when the youth conference came to town. And those young people had no idea what was going to happen to them when they walked through the doors of that church in Indiana. But before they left, they were subjected to some of the worst preaching that has ever occurred in history. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just playing around. I'm just playing around. But that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like because we've been a part of a series where we're talking about teaching youth in 2022. And what we've been doing is reviewing sermons preached at a youth conference in 2022 in Indiana But by this point, it no longer feels like we're having theological conversations. It doesn't feel like we're having theological discussions. It really feels like we're just listening to, well, a crime because it's so, I don't know what it is, right? Like if it was really theological, we could be like, okay, they're putting forth this theology. We disagree with it. We we could be looking at it from a theological perspective, but it's more like, okay, wait, So what are they teaching young people in 2022? Exactly what is their message? Okay, I think this is their message. Well, then they kind of contradicted that message. I don't even really know what the thesis is. They didn't really handle the text, so I can't really critique their handling of the text because they basically ignored it. It's a crime. I mean, really, I know that's a little hyperbolic, but that's what it feels like. So when I started walking up the steps, I'm like, okay, we're going to have a Theology Central podcast and we're going to discuss this theologically. But I'm like, really, we're just going to listen, listen. We're going to listen as a crime takes place. And I know some people may feel that that's mean, but that's what it feels like. It's like, what are you doing to these young people? So tonight, this Saturday, September the 3rd, 2022, At 8.24 p.m. Central Time, coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas, I'm here to take all of us on a virtual road trip back in time to just about a month ago to Indiana as we once again continue our reviews of these sermons preached at a youth conference. Now, one of the reasons we're doing this is because I'm just curious what is being taught to young people in 2022, and because I want you to start thinking about what should be taught to young people in 2022. And I I still want your list. I still want three things that you think need to be taught to young people today in 2022. Please send me your list. But we are considering what is being taught. Now you say, well, why this youth conference in Indiana? Well, number one, it just showed up in my podcast feed. So I'm like, okay, this looks interesting. That's how we kind of found ourselves there. But number two, because the speakers at the youth conference, at least in the first session, has claimed that it's one of the most influential youth conferences in the country. So if it's that influential... Well, then I think we should pay attention to what's happening because this is what young people were being taught this summer in Indiana, which I'm now kind of calling it, well, it sounds like a true crime episode, right? It was a small town. Everyone thought the neighbor was a quiet, kept to themselves and never, never was concerned about them until one late night. They found in the backyard. I mean, you know how you know how true crime podcasts go, right? Right? I mean, because one of the most popular genres of, of podcasts is true crime. 
We could turn this into a true crime podcast, but it would be more just <laughs> for illustration purposes. It would be more just to make an allegory to try to prove a point. But sometimes reviewing these sermons, it feels like a crime. But are you ready? All right. Having, having a little bit of fun. Please don't take that too seriously. Someone's like, you're being mean. It's just joking around. I'm just, I'm just expressing my feelings in a joking manner, right? My feelings are, wh- what do I do with this, right? Again, I, I, I was talking about this just a, about an hour ago with someone, and I was trying to explain that it's really difficult because if it was very theological, if it was very textual, right? In other words, they're really handling the text and they're really put, putting forth a theological perspective, then it's easy to critique that, right? Here's their theology, Here's my theology. Here's how they handle the text. Here's how I would handle the text. But this is kind of like, well, they didn't deal with the text. So I really can't critique they're dealing with the text. I can just simply say they're ignoring the text. And they're putting forth a philosophy that I don't even know. In some cases, I don't know if I can really articulate exactly what the philosophy is, because in many cases, it felt like they were contradicting the very philosophy they were putting forth. Very, 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 very interesting. But here we go. We're going back to Indiana. 33-minute message to youth. What do you think they're going to cover? What do you think? At this point, I have no idea because they haven't covered any topic that I thought they would cover. Um, So I don't really know what they're going to do, but we're going to find out together. Remember how this works? Remember the rules. I don't review things first if because here's the thing. If I listen to it first, then this would not be really a true review and a true reaction. It would be more of a me, it would be like a performance. I, I've already listened. I know which parts I really want to emphasize. And it's I kind of already rehearsed it. And I don't like that. I like it being very real, very organic. There's pros to it. There are cons because a lot of times I'm just trying to think it through, but I think it's fun. So are you ready? Let's listen to a sermon from a youth conference in Indiana together. And let's react to it in real time. If you're listening live, please feel free to jump into the chat. If you are uh, listening and you're on Discord, I will try to check Discord if you want to post it there. Um, And if you're not, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I try to check the email before I go off the air, but a lot of times I forget, but I will try. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 20. I, I want to say thank you to the preachers last night. What amazing messages. I will sit in the front row uh, I just forgot that uh, I was who I was. I felt like a teenager, and I just loved every minute of it, and I wanted to recommit myself to every way that was preached. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's so many things I can't stand about the whole, I call it the conference industrial complex of the American church, all of these conferences. Uh, and many of the conferences, people pay big money to get in, but it just seems like every conference, the speakers, uh, like you have the first speaker who, who who speaks and he doesn't have to do this, but almost everyone after that has to talk about how amazing the previous messages were, even when they're clearly not that amazing, right? Like I want to say, like the, the messages were so amazing. And I just, I just started thinking of me as a teenager and I was ready to rededicate every part of, based off what? We've listened to all the preaching prior to this. What would you, what did you want to rededicate yourself to? What made you want to rededicate? Like, I, I think that we should look at, I'm not saying you have to be negative, but I mean, do you just have to make things up? Because literally there's nothing from the previous sermons that would make anyone want to rededicate anything. Cause I don't even really know what the point was, <laughs> but all right, all right, that's, I know you said, well, there's just being nice. Well, there's being nice and there's being dishonest, right? I mean, Right? I mean, right. I mean, you can be nice by just saying, hey, open up your Bible to the book of Acts. Let's get started. Right. Like, let's do that. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being nitpicky. When, by the time when you've reviewed as much as I have from this conference, maybe I'm just becoming a little jaded and cynical. So I'll try to set aside my jaded, cynical self and let's see where it's going. I am. I am curious. Acts chapter 15. I am curious. Like, where is this? Or was it Acts 16? I think it was Acts 16 maybe 15 through 20. I can't remember. We'll find out here in a minute. He'll repeat it. But um, I'm just, that's an interesting text. Like, 
Where are we going with that? Hmm. Let's see. Uh, that both messages, I tell you, if just yesterday, I was telling my son, if just yesterday that was the conference, that would have been just perfect. And uh, if God has not spoken to you yet, you would have missed the whole thing. And uh, just, I'm so thankful. And even now. What does that mean? If God hasn't spoken to you yet, you've missed the whole thing. Like, what does that mean? If God hasn't spoken to you, what does that mean? If the word of God was preached, God has spoken to you because God is not speaking any other way than other through his word, through the preaching of his word. What do you mean? God spoke to you. So the preaching happens and then God speaks Beyond that, the, the word of God is taught, but then God speaks beyond that. So you listen to the preaching, but then listen to what God has to say. Is, is it, Like I've heard the, the, this, there's just terminology used within Christianity so frequently that's just so theolo theologically riddled with errors that I, I, it just drives me crazy how no one ever raises a hand. Like, what do you mean? Now, if you're in a charismatic church, then obviously God's still speaking to you. I mean, I don't even know why you listen to sermons or why you even read your Bible. God's talking to you basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then by all means. like. But for the rest of us, God speaks to us through his word. So what does it mean if God hasn't spoken to you? Like, what? what now, if he means through his word, but he has spoken, it's not a matter of if he has, if the Bible has been read, if the Bible has been taught, if the Bible has been proclaimed, then God has spoken because he speaks to us through his word. So I don't know what you're referring to. Sounds very charismatic in a very non-charismatic church, demonstrating the influence of charismatic theology into non-charismatic churches. Uh, the message brother francis and i just love him very much and his humility and sincerity uh just comes out of him and and not just while he's behind the pulpit but every every day and in any situation i'm so thankful for him and his friendship and and as well as uh, the men sitting behind me i'm very humbled to be using the pulpit at this moment and uh, my dear friend brother judah and i thought our secret was secret but not no more uh so um Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 20, the Bible says this, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I commend thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of the same hour. And when, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains were, was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates and saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. Let's pray and ask God to bless this. Very interesting passage for a youth conference. I have my suspicions on where this is going. I have my concerns where this is going. But I will hold my speculations because that's all they would be right now. And we will see. I don't know. I'm excited to hear it because once again, it's the, it's the word of God. So, so I want to make it very clear. No matter, no matter when, whatever we review, I don't care. I could be reviewing a sermon from, I don't, the, the most, a church that I, a, just from a theological perspective, I, I am completely in disagreement with. I don't care what the church is. I don't care the name of the church. Whenever they open the word of God and are going to preach a text, I do get excited because it's the word of God. And there's a chance I may hear a perspective that I've never thought of that may convince me that I have looked at the text incorrectly. So I don't want you to think that I just, you know, I'm ready to criticize. No, I'm always excited at the beginning. There is always, there is genuine excitement. I know that you may not think that, but there is genuine excitement and there's always a little bit of genuine expectancy that something good will come from it. However, it doesn't take me very long that I may go, what is happening? What is happening? What is happening? And then 
if you typically listen, my frustration kind of builds and builds and builds and builds. It, the more either the text is ignored or the text is just ripped into pieces or the, or the text is just completely mishandled and heresy is taught. Then I get very frustrated. But I always do start. It doesn't matter what I listen to. Look, I have almost every podcast app you can have on my uh, my uh, iPad. I subscribe to, I don't even know, thousands of Christian podcasts. Christian podcasts. And, the, and many, when, I, when I say Christian podcasts, many of those are just churches who post their sermons in a podcast, basically like a podcast. In other words, on a podcast app. And I will listen, I listen to anything. And sometimes I'm like, whoa, okay, I've never thought about that before. And sometimes when the sermon is over, I may completely disagree, but I will be still thankful that I heard, wow, okay, that was, never thought about the text that way. I may disagree, but at least it makes me rethink about the text. So I don't want it to come across like I'm just here to, to, to disagree, but I am skeptical here just because of, well, we've reviewed everything so far in this youth conference, and it's been really, really questionable. But this is an interesting text. I, I, I think I know where you could take this from a typical following the template youth conference. I'm hoping he abandons the template of youth conferences and just expounds the text, but we will see. Father, please bless. Again, we stopped the service to ask for your blessing because we're so conscious of the fact that Without you, we can do nothing. Unless the spirit of you, Father, Father, falls fresh on us this morning, this very moment as you have before during this morning, Father, please, nothing will happen. And we need your spirit. We need your, you feel welcomed among us to come through and walk through the, through the aisles of our heart, Lord, and just speak to us in ways that only you can. As Brother Francis just got through sharing with us, Lord, that quiet and still voice. Help us, Father, to be quiet enough as the world screams to listen to your word, to listen to your, your voice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Here we find Paul in the middle of his ministry, really the most intense part of his ministry. Now he's not next to Barnabas and he's, he's, uh, he's on his own and he's picked up a couple of young men that are uh, his, uh, by choice, he God has uh, put in his heart to, to, to walk them along his side, and he's serving now, and he, uh, he's met up with Lydia in a prayer meeting, just going off to pray, and he meets this lady, and God opens her heart for the gospel, and she's saved, and, and, uh, and then in between uh, this story, we find this demon-possessed damsel, and, uh, and then after this situation, he's found with the, the, the prison keeper, which the, the, the prison walls fall as they prayed and, and sang to the Lord. We know the story. We've sang it about it. We were singing about it last night. And, uh, and it's one of the most popular stories of the Bible, New Testament, as, as the only place in the Bible we see a man call out and say, what must I do to be saved? Many messages have come from both of these stories and stuck in this, in this chapter here. But in between this, these two amazing stories of salvation and baptism and and what a wonderful truth it is but in between this we find a story of this damsel now we don't know the name of this uh, lady we never heard hear about her again in the new testament uh it doesn't even say if she was saved all we know is that she was bothering the apostle paul and she didn't leave him alone as uh following her and 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 and, and interrupting whatever paul was doing for many days. Now, whenever the New Testament uses the word many, it, it literally could be weeks and many days, as we know, as we see in the book of Acts, and how, uh, you know, the Lord talks about those that were uh, uh, starting the new church, uh, you know, this the numbered 12, and then the 120, and then, and then it goes to 3,000, and then it goes to 5,000, and, and then after that, it just starts about many uh, were added to multiply to the to the, to the church. So uh, I can imagine that uh, several days passed with this, this damsel, this lady that was demon-possessed, and this demon particularly would give her the ability to uh, divinate, to, to, to read car, uh, hands maybe, palms or whatever, and, and grant the people that were paying high money to see the future. And so uh, this, this, this lady was governed or controlled by her master's. So the story tells us, and these men were upset uh, that Paul had interrupted what they had going with this lady. 
Now, it's very easy to miss this story by reading the story of Lydia. What a beautiful story. And, and reading the story of the prison. And really, we, are, we gravitate naturally to these two stories because of the outcome of salvation. But in, stuck in between these two stories, uh, it's a terrifying truth. I say this terrifying truth because we see within these few verses, Satan's hope. And that's what I want to share with you this, this morning, Satan's hope. Just as this damsel was the hope of these masters, these wicked men, that they were profiting from her and gaining from, from her their gains, their riches. Okay. Let's, let's do a little bit of hermeneutics and a little bit of sermon analysis. All right, so this title of the sermon is Satan's Hope. All right, so what does Satan hope for? What is his hope? Now, this is the text. Now, I don't know what direction he's going to go, but I, it, it is interesting to me that a passage, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, that from this passage, we have a sermon called Satan's Hope. Now, and the reason I think this is interesting, and I'll just point this out, look at verse 16. Satan is not mentioned in verse 16. Look at verse 17. Satan is not mentioned in verse 17. Look at verse 18. Satan is not mentioned in verse 18. Look at verse 19. Satan is not mentioned in verse 19. And verse 20, Satan is not mentioned. So we don't have Satan mentioned. We have a woman possessed by with a spirit of divination. So we have a demonic spirit, but this is called Satan's hope. Now, is this going to be a situation where it's not really about expounding the text? The text is simply there as a launching pad for him to get into what his philosophy is about what Satan hopes for. Like, he's not really going to expound this text. He's just going to say, let's, let's take this text. Now, I'm going to run off to this concept, this, this topic of what Satan's hope is. Now, maybe, he's, maybe it's just a clever title, Satan's hope, but he's really going to expound the text, or he's just going to use the text to get to it. We'll have to see. But I just think it's interesting that the word Satan doesn't even actually appear here, and it's called Satan's hope. Maybe that's significant. Maybe it will not be, but I at least want to point that out at this junction. Here we go. They're, they were using her, listen to me, they were using her for their own gain. They could care less of, about her. They really didn't care about her. They were just utilizing her to accomplish their, 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 their end, their, their hope. She was a means to an end. And Paul ends up running into this lady. And I believe with all my heart that this story is... is, is now, I've got, I just have to ask a question. Now, all pastors do this. We all do this, right? You come to one, you come to a text, and it gives you some kind of a narrative, right? Some kind, kind of a narrative. And the Bible doesn't always fill in lots of details, but give it does not take long that preachers will fill in the details. Preachers will come running in really quick, going did did did. So they they're like they basically the relationship. This woman is just being used. They don't care about her. They're just using her. Now that may be true. Not saying it's not true. I'm just saying that sometimes pastors feel if they we come in and we fill in the narrative with facts with with an idea with an emotion, with a feeling that may or may not actually be indicated by the text. It may be implied, but how far do you run with what's implied? How far can you run with it? In other words, how much can we add to a biblical narrative before we really cross a line and we've entered into adding to the word of God? How much can you add to it? I mean, obviously, I, I've talked about it before. Everyone loves the chosen. Listen to some of that dialogue. Listen to some of the things. In the, is that from scripture? What, what is that? What's the, what's the emotion that's implied? The emotion added to a scene? Is that really, does the scene really lead us to that? How far can we, in a sense, manipulate, mess with a text in our preaching before we've we've crossed the line. Where is that line? Now, I think for many in the, who sit in the pew, 
They don't really care about the line. They just want the sermon to be interesting. They want the sermon to be entertaining. They want the sermon to be funny. They want the sermon to be emotional. And if it's if it moves the emotions, then who cares how much is added? But my thing is, should not we, shouldn't we all not, I think everyone should, should we not be very, very, very cautious that adding that emotion, adding some of that maybe stuff that's not clearly articulated does it cloud, does it keep us from actually seeing the text? Now, I'm not saying that what he's saying is wrong. I mean, maybe these men didn't. I mean, they're her master. They seem, they seem more upset about uh, the fact that they could lose money. I mean, there's some things you could probably infer from it. I'm just saying, I just want you to, I'm not, I'm not calling you to question into what's happening in this particular sermon, but this just brings up the subject. How much can be added? Because I've heard so much. I mean, I can go from biblical narrative to biblical narrative and think of sermons like, man, I remember one sermon where they said this. And even David walking out and, oh, he sees her bathing. Oh, I've I've seen like, no, she was doing that on purpose so that David, because she knew when David would come out on the roof. Like, I mean, I've seen these stories and you just add and add. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we can say these things, but it's so tempting when you start preaching because You've got the text, you read the text, and then typically in preaching, you retell the story, right? You read the text, and then you retell the story. And when you retell the story, well, I mean, they just heard it read, so then you kind of re, you start embellishing a little bit, right? You want to make it a little bit more exciting. And the next thing you know, when you're done, do people remember the text or your embellishment of the text? I, I, it's just something that I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to. Look, and I'm not saying this like in a judgmental way. I'm saying that I've made the same mistake a million times. It's so easy to do. Right, here we go. Here in Scripture, found in the Word of God, for us to draw a truth from it. And as I was reading this story, uh, as I'm studying through the book of Acts with our, with our, our Spanish congregation, and I ran into this story, it, it just, it really hit me like a brick. And I, I started looking in f- further into it, and I'm so thankful for the Word of God, how deep it is, how rich it is, and how marvelous it is. You can sometimes, if you're not careful, read through something and not even understand the wonderful truth that's in there. But I'm so thankful that I was taught to slow down and just let the Word of God sink in and enjoy it like you would enjoy, uh, you know, a nice, beautiful steak, you know, or, or some chorizo with huevos, you know. That just, you just kind of sink it in, you know. And, uh, and you, you know, uh, how many of you guys like uh, uh, Mexican food? Raise your hand. You guys like regular Mexican food? I, I, you see, I feel like I'm at home now. I'm comfortable. You know, uh, all these preachers, uh, just think of me as the salsa in between all these preachers, okay? There's got to be good salsa and good chili in, in the food. If not, it's not real good food. I've seen Preacher Brown. Uh, he, he can eat with the best of us. I mean, he, with some hot sauce and everything. We were sitting down the other day, sitting together, and he went for the most spicy stuff. And I was like, I was like, are you Mexican? I mean, is there something in you that, but I'm so thankful for him, right? It's good to be, uh, you know, uh, in the chili business, amen? Well, so the devil... Just like these men desire to use and profit from whomever would lend himself as an instrument. You see, just like he entered into Judah's heart and used him to betray the Lord. And just as he provoked David to tempt God, recounting his army and the men with swords, Satan's hope is hidden within this story, but revealed to us by his spirit and his mercy. You see, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We are in a battle. This is just, just from a sermon perspective, if, if what he's going to do is give us Satan's devices, why wouldn't you have done your text of your sermon been, we are not ignorant of his devices? Then start labeling what those devices are and then use this text as one of those devices, right? Like, I'm always interested in how, as a preacher, how we structure our sermons. Now, look, I'm not saying it in a judgmental way, all right? Because I listen to my sermons again and I'm like, what? why, why did I do it that way? Why did I do it that way? Now, at the moment, at the time, and that's why I try to listen to my sermons. I don't, I don't always listen to them again because usually it's very discouraging and I hate listening to myself, but I try to, to in, in order to improve my preaching. 
but I'll listen to it again. I'm like, why did I think that? And then I'll, you know, it was like 24 hours ago. I'm like, I know. Okay, well, that was my idea. But then when you listen to it, you're like, well, my idea did not come across the way it should have. I should have completely redesigned that. I do the same thing with podcast episodes. I'm like, that was my plan. So it's just interesting. Like if he's going to go the direction where it seems he's leading us, Satan has devices. We're not to be ignorant of them. And his devices are seen, I guess, in his hopes. So I, so I, I don't know. Or is he just going to stay right here and just focus on Satan's hopes in this text? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you you could you could argue which way should you go. May not matter ultimately if we get what. Well, let's just see what the points are. Right in the middle of an ongoing war between good and evil, the dark side and the good side, the devil and our God. Ephesians chapter six verse twelve. The Bible says, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high." Places And I, I highlight these words, principalities, powers, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, I, don't under, I don't understand that passage completely. But what I do understand is that the devil is a, it, it has devices and he is secretly trying to uh, do his will. You see, he understands that he cannot raise up against the church. He knows God's word and he knows that there's a promise of God to protect the word of God, uh, to, to protect, I'm sorry, the church. He knows he cannot destroy the word of God. You see, it's everlasting. It's promise of God. And he has tried to destroy it, but, but God's word is pure and God's word will be forever. You know, he, he understands he, he cannot destroy these things. But one thing the devil knows is that he can't maybe directly attack God. But if he can just slow us down, if he can just hurt us, damage us, uh, hinder us, uh, uh, sideline us, and just affect us just subtly, just unawares enough to hold off, just to hold his will to be accomplished, to affect his cause. I just have to uh have to interrupt. The, the church has an interesting approach to some of this. On one hand, God is all powerful. God has got his words of protection. The church is protected. The word of God is protected. So Satan cannot destroy these things. So Satan is, or so Satan is limited by God. God is all powerful. God has his promises to protect this and to protect that and to protect this and to protect that and to protect that. However, we've got to be on the lookout because at any time Satan will attack us or slow us down. So then the question is, well, then one, why would God let him attack us? I mean, I mean, these are just, I know, I, I know I ask the questions that Christians are not supposed to ask, but I think they're, I, I typically, sometimes I ask questions, people, those are the questions skeptics ask. Well, there should be questions everyone asks, because in many cases, it's a very relevant question. If God is all powerful, if God does all these things to limit Satan in this area, 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 then why does he not limit Satan and what he can do to us? Or does he? Is every quote-unquote, and again, you have to be careful. When it says Satan is going to do this and Satan is going to do that, just remember, he's not omnipresent. Satan can't be, you know, attacking every Christian at the exact same time unless he's using the world and the flesh and, and, other, and other things outside of him. He, he can only be in one place at one time. If sometimes we speak of Satan as if he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at every time. And that's not the case. But I, I think we, in our theology, we have to at least account for if God limits Satan, but yet Satan is supposedly going to do this and do this to slow us down, to, to, to hurt our Christian life, and we've got to be on the lookout, and we've got to be on the lookout. How do we understand, like, do we have to be on the lookout because God doesn't have the control over Satan? Or do we have to be on the lookout because God may allow Satan to do something for his purpose? And then there's some questions. We'll see if this becomes an issue, but it's just so, I always find it interesting the way sometimes this is taught and it's kind of like, so wait, so God can do something or God can't do something. God will do something or he won't do something. Because on certain areas, see, Satan can't destroy the church because because God won't let him. He can't destroy the word of God because God won't let him. Okay, well, then that means God is limiting what Satan can do, but he can attack you. Why? 
anymore to get saved. He is satisfied with that outcome. And the devil will use whomever he can. Uh, Wait, we got to back that up. Got to back that up. I think we just had something that reveals a theological perspective here. All right, let's back that up. Let's see. I'll go back just a little further. Okay, let's listen to what Satan can do. To be accomplished, to affect his cause, many more to get saved. He is satisfied with that outcome. Okay, wait. Sounds like what he's saying. Let me go all the way back. Here we go. Here we go. Just slow us down. If he can just hurt us, damage us, uh, hinder us, uh, uh, sideline us, and just affect us just subtly, just unawares enough to hold off, just to hold his will to be accomplished, to affect his cause, many more to get saved. He is satisfied with that. So Satan can stop people from getting saved. Can Satan stop people from getting saved? Let's look at this from a, a semi-Pelagian Arminian point of view, and let's look at it from a Reformed point of view. According to the semi-Pelagian Arminian perspective, people have free libertarian free will. Well, can Satan impact one's free will? Is it, is it just whoever, whoever impacts the will the most? Do the, does Christians impact your will more than Satan? And if Satan can cause you not to be saved, then that means Satan, then is your will really free? How, how free is your will really? Because on one hand, we pray for people to get saved, but if the will is free, God can't do anything to their will for them to get saved. So like I, I, so if the will is completely free, can Satan do anything to the will? If God won't do anything to the will, then can Satan do something to the will to keep someone from being saved? Or is it simply the free exercise of one's will? And of course, in a reform way, that's utterly ridiculous because Satan can't stop anyone from getting saved because salvation is of the Lord. And, you know, he foreknew, he, he chose, he predestines, he calls, he saves, like all, all of that. So I just think that that's kind of interesting. Satan can stop people from getting saved. That seems to be what he implied there. Maybe he'll be more dogmatic about it in a minute, but okay, let's, I'm still trying to figure out, so what can, what can Satan do and what can't he do. And and if Satan can get his will accomplished, then is God getting his will accomplished? Because my Bible says all things are, are uh, I mean, I'll read it specifically. I'm gonna, I was going to mix up two verses here, but instead of doing that, I'll just quote it uh, myself here. Um, let me see here. Where do we want to go? Um, uh, Ephesians chapter one. Uh, see here. Ephesians chapter one. Let's see here. Where do we want to go? Um, we'll just read. We'll read a, a number of this. Ephesians chapter one. We'll go, we'll go to verse four. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Uh, without should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, predestinated us unto the adoption of children, uh, Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. See he. He, he, it's, he's doing things according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath proposed in himself. That in the dispensation and the fullness of time, it, it did, okay, look at verse 11, and in whom also we have obtained the inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will. God works all things for his will. His will will be accomplished. So if Satan's will is being accomplished and God's will is being accomplished, how does that work? I mean, these are questions you have to work through and ask. I know in a youth conference you don't, but you throw these concepts out. I would hope that young people would be there going, wait, I got a, I got a hundred questions here. I got questions here. Wait a minute. So how does this work? So Satan can stop people from getting saved, but all things work according to God's will. But however, Satan's will can be done. What if Satan's will is against God's will? Satan's will still gets done and God's will doesn't. So are there two sovereigns at fighting one another? There's Satan who is somehow sovereign, God who is somehow sovereign, and they're both attempting to work out their will. I mean, these are just basic theological questions that people should be asking. But let's see where it's going to go.
that outcome. And the devil will use whomever he can, uh, whoever lends himself, whoever is not aware, whoever does not realize his devices and lends himself as an instrument to his cause. And that is exactly what the devil does. You see, he doesn't declare himself. He doesn't come out right. He, He disguises himself. He's in the, the shadows, mind you. He's, he's in the back seat or even in between. And just like the devil is in the mix of this amazing chapter where Lydia is getting saved and her family getting baptized. And then the uh, prison, the, the keeper uh, getting saved and baptized and all his family. In between these two amazing stories, we find the devil's presence. And I believe that, I hate to say it, but I believe the devil's presence is well here. Not in in a ruling fashion. I believe God is here and I believe God is in command. And I believe God will do his will no matter what. He he is in power and and I'm so thankful that his his presence is... Now wait a minute. If God is in power and God will do his will, then how can Satan's will and God's will both happen in the same place where God works all things according to his will? Like how do you... How do you reconcile all of this, right? So Satan is trying to get his will... But God is working everything according to his will, but both at at certain times, both wills are being accomplished, even though they're in direct conflict with one another. Or if Satan accomplishes something, is it somehow not a part of God's will and a part of God's plan or part of God's purpose? I mean, these, these are very important theological questions, right? Whatever Satan accomplishes, is it because God allowed it for his ultimate purpose? I mean, we definitely see that in Job, right? Whatever Satan did, he only accomplished because God led him. Satan wasn't able to do anything other than what God allowed him to do. Now, this raises, this raises serious theological issues that, that usually the church does not want to talk about because it makes us uncomfortable. But I think these are the kinds of questions that I think young people need to wrestle with. And I think and some people say, no, it will confuse them. And some people don't even like when I do it in a Christian podcast or from the pulpit. But I'm like, look, if, you're, if your faith is so weak that it can't s- s- deal with difficulties and questions, then we've got, then that's a deeper issue. Because we have to be willing to deal with these issues because they don't go away just because the church ignores it. So if God works all things according to his will, then anything Satan accomplishes has to be ultimately a part of God's will in some way, shape, or form. He has to at least allow it, which then raises serious questions, right? So if Satan, quote unquote, is the one tempting people and they sin, could God have uh, stopped that temptation? Could God have entered injected himself to stop it from happening? Then you would have to say, yes, but he didn't. But why didn't he? It raises all kinds of questions. I won't continue to pursue that line of reasoning because everyone gets always upset. But I think these are, these are good theological questions. So I'm thankful that the sermon is bringing forth major theological issues that need to be addressed. Obviously, I'm frustrated that he's not addressing any of them, but obviously he has a point that he's trying to make to the young people. Right now, I still don't know exactly what his point is other than say God is in power, God's will will be done, but Satan has a will and Satan's will is accomplished sometimes. <laughs> He's not, he's not reconciled these two concepts in anyone's mind, but obviously it's not his, his primary focus. Let's, let's see where he's going to go. Right here, but I believe the devil is, it has been working in some of our hearts, in some of our minds. You see, it's very difficult. Oh, okay. We've, we got, we got more. Now, I, I'm assuming he's referring to the Christian young people. Can Satan work inside the heart? Of a believer, can Satan work inside the mind of a believer? And does Satan really need to work inside the heart or the mind of a believer? Because inside the heart, inside us, is a sinful nature. Does Satan need to actually do something in us, or is a satanic way of thinking already inside of us because of our sinful nature? 
We blame everything on an external devil. We, we, it's Satan, Satan, Satan. Satan isn't the one making me think this way. Satan's the one making me feel this way. No, your sinful nature is making you think and feel that way because you are a sinner even after conversion. But we've always got to blame it on an external spiritual source. It's Satan made me feel that way. Satan made me think that way. No, your own lust, your own sinful nature. Why do we always want to blame the devil for what's a part of, it's inside of us. We, we so minimize the reality of the sinful nature still residing in believers. To capture and to understand God's word in our life and keep his word in our heart when our hearts are full of distraction and, and the worldly things and the lustful things of this world. It's very difficult to capture what God wants us to hear when all we do is Netflix and, and uh, TikTok and, and, and Instagram and social Okay, so so Netflix, TikTok, because we desire that. But I, but he seems to be implying Satan is the one who puts that desire there. Let me tell you, Satan can take a vacation. Satan can retire. And all of those desires will be inside of us because we have a sinful nature that desires fleshly things more than spiritual things. And it has nothing to do with Instagram or Netflix or anything else, because I don't care what culture you lived in. Christians have always desired fleshly things more than spiritual things. That's why it's always been difficult to get Christians to study the Bible, read the Bible, and pray. That's why pastors have complained about it forever. Spurgeon, back in his day, was complaining, nobody cares what I preach is true as long as they get out on time. No, there, there's, there, he was upset about the apostasy and the worldliness and the fleshless, fleshy fleshliness of Christians in his day. Every, every time you read sermons, they're always complaining about that people are lazy and complacent and apathetic, and they would rather do this or this or this, and they don't care about the things of God because it's always been true and it has nothing to do with Satan. It has to do with the, we still have a sinful nature. But now we're going after the, you know, the typical things at youth conference. We're going to go after Netflix. We're going to go after Instagram. We're going to go after TikTok. We're going to go after the basic cultural things that young people, I'm not saying that there aren't dangers in these things, but it's like, is, is, do young people just need less Instagram and TikTok and Netflix? But see, it's always the, the issue is always these external things. Get rid of the external things and you'll be godly. Well, I've seen ex the young people raised in homes where they could not, quote unquote, watch this, listen to this, watch this, listen to this. And they, guess what? They weren't watching and listening to those things. Oh, yeah. And well, she still ended up pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, I've seen the I've seen these kids who couldn't do all of those things and sin and rebellion still showed up in their life. But we think as long as I can keep them from Netflix, TikTok and Instagram, they'll be okay. No, the problem is inside them, not outside of them. Media, not, I'm not saying necessarily that those particular things are bad. What I'm saying is that the devil uses whatever he can use just to hold us back enough. You see, this is exactly what we're seeing here. This demon-possessed girl was you see how it's presented? The devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. The devil is using these things. Now, the issue is us, our desire for things other than the things of God, which comes from inside of us. It doesn't need the devil. Now, the devil may, quote unquote, use these things per se, but those things would have no power if we didn't have a sinful nature. So the issue is my desire internally not, we, we always get the focus on the external. Bothering Paul. Just being a nuisance. Paul was minding his own business. As a matter of fact, he just witnessed the Lydia. He just saw her get saved. He's moving on as Paul would in every city, preaching the gospel with boldness. And, and you, God would use Paul amazingly. But listen, in between his, his ministry, you see the devil just bothering bothering interrupting you see I want you to notice Satan's hope and it's dug deep inside this little story and I want you to listen to it because I believe with my whole heart that this is the reason why we are, have seen the struggles of this generation 
that we're seeing. The first hope of, de- of the devil we see in this story is here, in verse, ver- found in verse number 17. It says here, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High, which show unto us the way of salvation. You see, Satan's hope is that we would follow man, but not the God of that man. I want you to see that with me. This, this, this damsel, possessed damsel, is following the man of God. And I want to say, Paul, what a great, amazing Christian. I don't know if there's been another greater Christian from Jesus Christ this way. Paul, the great preacher of preachers, the, the, the powerful man of God, the apostle Paul, wrote most of, uh, of the New Testament. Okay, there's so much going on. First of all, he's going to just brag about Paul. I really wish some of these preachers today would meet Paul, the one who said the things I want to do, I don't do the things, because I bet you they would be greatly disappointed saying he's just a, well, he's just a sinner like the rest of us, but that's okay. So according to him, Satan's hope found in this text, and remember, this is the way he's using the text. This is about Satan's hope, that from this text, we learn that Satan's hope is that we would follow men and not God, and ba- this is based off that this damsel who's possessed with the spirit of divination followed Paul and cried, these men are the servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. So according to the way he's reading this, that what she's saying, don't follow God, follow them. Do you think that's an accurate rendering of that text? I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. You could look at it a couple of ways. Is the problem here not what she's saying? It's the problem of who's saying it. In other words, if she's possessed by the uh, a spirit of divination... All right. She's possessed by some demonic concept and she's practicing divination. But she comes along and she lets everyone know, see, look, I don't ever. These men are, are t- talking about the true God. In other words, she seems to be giving an endorsement to them. Would that then not make her appear to be dangerous to these people? Right? Hey, this woman is, uh, is best possessed by a spirit of divination. But look, she's she's talking about the true God. She's talking about the Apostle Paul. She's respectful. She's pointing people to this. So don't be afraid of her divination. Don't be, do you think that the, because remember that what happens is ultimately these people get upset because when he rebukes her, right, and then commands the spirit to, to, uh, to come out of her, the masters are upset because they lose their money. Was this a money-making scheme? Hey, okay, look, here's the deal. These guys are walking around. Everyone's following them right now. They've got all the buzz. They're the new influencers. And they've gone viral. I'm, I'm use, just placing it in a modern context. The, these are the people. So what we need to do is if she'll go out there and say, hey, these people serve the most high God and say all the right words, then will they still do business with her thinking, well, there's nothing, you know, what, whatever supposedly her spirit of divination was doing that was making money, do you, th- I don't know if, if, I don't know, was she saying, hey, don't follow God, follow these men, or was this a way to say, hey, hey, I'm not, don't perceive me as a threat, don't perceive me as being dangerous, because see, I'm pointing to the, these men and saying good things about them and the true God. Was this a deceptive practice? Now, I I, I am very thankful, and and, and I know I've offered some criticism, that he's at least presenting a completely different way of rendering this. His his interpretation is, hey, don't follow God, follow these men. And then Paul gets upset and like, no, stop, and for the demon to come out. My viewpoint is, well, wait a minute. She's, She's possessed by a spirit of divination. These men, her masters, clearly are making money off what she does. So she comes along and says these, what seems to be very wonderful words, right? Seems to be very wonderful words because she is saying, if I can find it, um, verse, uh, where is it? Verse 17, uh, cried, 
These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. That, that it sounds like, hey, I'm not, I'm not a threat to this message. I'm not a threat to this religion. I'm not a threat. So you can still do business with me. I, that's the way I'm re- reading it. I, you, can, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and go with which reading you think of those two, or you can offer a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth uh, way of reading it. There's always the, the interesting part about Christians is we, we never really agree on how to read the text, but it will be interesting to see all the different perspectives on this one. Let's see if we can make this a little further because we're, I, I don't want to run out of time, but I don't think there's any way I'm going to be able to finish this, but let's see what we can do. Started so many churches. What an amazing servant I got. This demon-possessed girl was following Paul, but never followed the God of Paul. And that is exactly what's happening in today's generation. Was she following Paul, or was she simply praising Paul to not perceive to uh, to not be perceived as a threat or dangerous? And she could still practice her her spirit of divination and still continue to be profitable. If she puts herself in conflict with the, the, the most popular preacher at the moment everyone's talking about, that would immediately hurt her business, right? I, I, I'm seeing it much more in a, a, a more cynical way. I see, I, 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 I wish there was like about 50 people listening live right now. I may have to do this at church and see how everyone, how everyone in the pew responds to this. I may have to do that because I'm, I'm very, very interested in how, how this is going to break out. If, if, if 50 people go one way and 50 go another, is it going to be an even split or is it going to be just like nobody agree? It's, it's going to be interesting to see. Generation of young people. We, we have so many Christians that are, that are sidetracked, that are away from God's will, that are discouraged, that are hurt, that are out of church, that are blaming uh, others and criticizing fundamentalism and, and preachers as a whole and attacking Christianity because someone hurt them. Because some That's a weird direction to go. Hey, we have so many young people who are upset and they're criticizing preachers. Where are you getting that from? This this text doesn't say anything about that. How how did he get to this application? You just read it as she was trying to tell people to follow the preacher. And now you're claiming that the application is there's so many people out of the church because they're upset and frustrated and they hate preachers. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to follow how you jumped from your, your, your reading of the text to your application. Let's see if he cleans this up. Someone failed because someone uh, betrayed them, because somebody was a hypocrite, because the, somebody got caught doing something bad or, or was, uh, was a pervert or was a, uh, a thief or what have you. And, we, and these people that n- never learned to follow the God of man, but just followed man, now find themselves discouraged out of the will of God, uh, criticizing everything and everybody because their hope was on the man instead of the man, the God of that man. Okay, so now I see where he's going. Okay, so she was getting people to point to pointing them to men because if you follow men, you'll end up discouraged and hating preachers and, and hating everyone. Okay, I, I still don't know if I agree with his reading though. The reading doesn't make any sense in the text, or at least not to me. See, this is the subtle way the devil works. He makes you look at man and be, be wow, look at man and wow, what a preacher. And what a, my youth pastor, there's nobody else like him and, and my pastor. And, and I'm thankful for godly leadership and I'm thankful for good men and praise the Lord for them. We ought to follow their lead as they follow God. But I'm thankful that I had a pastor that taught me love and respect and honor the men of God. But don't ever reverence them. Don't ever put them on a pedestal because men will always fail you you but God will never fail you the Bible says in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verses 9 through 19 that Paul learned this very lesson after many had betrayed him and left him and he even named some of them and he he said out loud those that had betrayed him and those that were a hindering to him and a, a danger to his ministry but then he says at the end but thank God the Lord stood by my side 
You see, every Christian needs to learn this lesson, so important lesson, to, to not just follow man, but learn to follow the God of that man. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells us about carnal Christians. A carnal Christian church, how they had favorites amongst each other. And, and some wanted to follow Apollos, and some wanted to follow Paul, and, and some Jesus Christ, and some this. And they had differences, and they had division among them. Why? Because they were carnal Christians. They had their eyes set on man, and not the God of that man. The Bible says in verse 4 of that chapter, 1 Corinthians says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You see, who are we really but sinners saved by grace? Instruments in God's hands. And the sooner you learn this, you see, men of God that we find in the scriptures, they too had leaders that failed them. I think of uh, Joshua that had Moses, that he went with him all the way through the desert preacher, all the way, but then Moses failed just right before the end. He let his temper get the best of him. His emotions get the best of him. And he could not go into the promised land. Along with Moses, I'm sure Joshua said, wait a minute. I've come with you all this way, Moses. I came with you all this way. I stood next to you when no one else stood next to you. But he had to detach himself from Moses and put his eyes on his God. I think of uh, uh, Samuel that we just heard about. That he had an Eli, a pastor that failed, that he had a terrible family, that his children were hypocrites, that they were false, and they died, and then he died, and he lost the presence of God over the people of God. Yet Samuel had to pick up the pieces and continue to serve the God of Eli. You see, you, what I'm trying to tell you is that we've, we have all seen great men of God fail. Yes, there are false uh, people, yes, there are preachers that maybe are good Christians but had a weak moment or failed. And yeah, they're not perfect. But we serve a perfect God. A faithful God. Listen to here. This point right here is very important because you know it to be true. That there's a bunch of people attacking and criticizing. And there's podcasts that all they do is criticize and attack. And look for every single moment and opportunity. When another one bites the dust. When another one falls. They criticize and they say, you see, they're all the same. And Christianity and fundamentalism, it's just not good no more. But let me tell you and remind you that all men can fall. But God is faithful and true he has never failed you and never never will fail you i probably fail you his point is excellent right that don't 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 follow men follow the god of those men excellent point i'm just still like i don't know if the text is actually saying that her He's reading Acts 16, 16 and following as the girl's walking. She's demon. She's possessed by the spirit of divination. And she's like, hey, everyone, follow Paul. Don't follow God. But I'm reading it as she she is possessed by the spirit of divination. Her masters are making money off her. Well, okay, these are the preachers that everyone's talking about. If she comes and says, hey, hey, listen, he's talking about the true God. He's pointing us to the way of salvation then she's viewed as, well, she's, she, there can't be anything wrong with her. We can still go to her for her divination. We can still go to her because she's pointing to the, to the true God. That's what I think is happening. He's reading it like completely opposite of that. So which reading is correct? We're going to have to stop right there. We have a 14. Let me see. Let me write this down. 14 minutes. And 51 seconds left. I don't want to stop there. I could. I'm going to stop there just because I want to see what people have to say about this question. I, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop because I'm very curious to see how many listeners will go, no, no, my reading is this. No, my reading is this. My reading. I'm going to see how many different renderings or readings we get from the listeners because that would be a good episode to just work through. And then we'll come back and finish this. Um, it's interesting. He's called the Satan's Hope, even though Satan's not mentioned in the text. And he's found that Satan's hope is to point us to men, not to God, based off a very 
specific reading of a text that I think is saying something completely opposite based off the fact of what happens. But you tell me, all right, you can email me your thoughts, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop because that's, oh, we're right there because I want, I want to see where, what direction he's going to go. But uh, yeah, that's, I'm going to make sure I wrote down the right time here. Uh, yeah, 1451 left. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Theology Central True Crime Podcast, where we took a trip to Indiana because it was a nice, quiet summer day when the young people were victimized. Now, in this case, I'm not as bothered by this sermon yet as some of the others, but I am very, very, very fascinated. I mean, he dealt, he didn't deal with a lot of questions in regards to Satan and God and God's sovereignty. He ignored all of that. I do understand why he had to ignore all of that because where he's going in the sermon. I am interested that it's called Satan's Hope and Satan is not mentioned. And I am interested in his very, very, I won't say questionable, very different reading of the text. But it, I, there's a good chance most of you may agree with him and disagree with me, but we'll see. All right, give me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Um, if you're listening on Sermons 2.0 and you didn't hear everything, this will be uploaded in about five minutes. All right, thanks for listening. God bless.